Don't we have some of the greatest kids around? <laughs> Weren't they awesome? You're going to be seeing more of them as we continue this new series we're starting this morning called Sitting in a Tree. And we got the idea for this message from that old song, that little song you'd hear on the playground, if your friends thought you liked someone else, if a boy likes a girl or a girl likes a boy, they would sometimes taunt you with uh, Ricky and Donna sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby carriage. And you know, that is so fun. And I know kids sometimes like to taunt us if they think that we uh, are in love with someone else. But actually, healthy relationships are vital to human thriving. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we believe that God is the one who created us, wired us for relationships. God created us to connect with other people on a spiritual level, on a, a relational and emotional level, and a physical level. And so healthy relationships are vital, whether they're friendships that are just friendships, or whether they're friendships that lead to dating and dating that might lead to marriage and starting families, or relationships with your neighbors or your coworkers, relationships are vital, healthy relationships. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in this series. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to let you always know that uh, everything we're going to talk about is sourced from Jesus and God's Word we believe that God wants the best for us, and the best we can ever do is to lean in on how God created us and what he wants for us in all of our relationships. And it's my prayer that if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, that you will lean in and let Jesus into your life, turning from your sin, trusting him as your Savior, and I can promise you this, you'll never regret that decision. And if you are new to our church, I'm Ricky. I'm honored to be the lead pastor here at Fort Caroline, and we welcome you. And if you're online, we're so happy that you are connecting with us in this way. And please let us know, whether you're in the room or online, that you are with us today. I'd love to meet you in that way. And I've got a medical procedure tomorrow, so I was just hiding out in my office this morning. And after this service, I'm going to call Matt up to close us out in prayer, and I'll sneak back to my office before the second service. I'm doing great, though, by the way. Don't worry about me. But I wanted you to know why I wasn't out here. Brother Steve, thank you so much for that great Gideon testimony today. We love partnering with the Gideons International because it is God's Word that is the foundation of our faith. Faith and, and that teaches us about Christ, and we want others to know. So as we continue today, as we start today this new series, I want to tell you one of the reasons why I felt led to do this series. Even though healthy human relationships are vital to human flourishing, it doesn't mean they're not difficult at times. Uh, being in a relationship with other people has its ups and its downs. It, it can be easy at times. It can be difficult at times. It can be tricky at times. It's tricky. Some of you will get that. It's an 80s <laughs> reference. But we believe that even though human relationships are tricky, they can be worth the investment. But we want to be wise as we go into our human relationships. For example, if you are like some of the young people in our church and you're kind of starting in that stage of your life of dating, it can be hard if you're a committed follower of Jesus to find another person like you that you uh, feel comfortable dating, finding that right person. And when you do find the right person and you get married, you soon discover in marriage the easiest thing the two of you did was say, I do. On your wedding day, the hardest thing you will do is say, I do every day thereafter, in sickness and in health, in poverty or in wealth, till death 
separates us. And if you are blessed enough to have a child, you'll start a family, you will soon find yourself asking your question, the heart question, am I doing this right? It's so hard to be a parent. It's, nothing really prepares you to be a parent. And am I doing this right or am I making a mess out of my kids' lives? And so we know that relationships can be difficult and tricky at times, but we also believe there's good news. God in his word has given us spiritual guidance and counsel that will help us if we will learn it and apply it to our lives. And whether it's a romantic relationship or a work relationship or a neighbor relationship, many of the principles we're going to talk about today will apply to all of those, even though we're focusing in on uh, love and dating and marriage and parenting, you'll discover a lot of these principles apply to any stage of life that you find yourself in. There's an old proverb that maybe you've heard it said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And that is true. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Because friends have a powerful impact on our lives. Today's message is the power of of relationships. That's what we're going to talk about, the power of relationships. In fact, the people that you connect your life to, link your life to, influence you. You not only influence them, but they influence you. And whenever we think about this, we understand that the Bible teaches something very similar in Proverbs 13, verse 20. There's a great proverb. A proverb is just a pithy saying that reveals wisdom and sometimes warns us about foolishness, and it contrasts wisdom, a wise way to live, with a foolish way to live. And in Proverbs 13, verse 20, we read these words, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. That's the New Living Translation. Why don't you read that out loud with me? Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. You know, the Bible says you got to be careful because the people that you do life with influence how you do life. If you link your life up, if you intimately connect your life with wise people, that doesn't mean they're the smartest people in the room. The, the Bible definition of wise says it's a person who knows God's will and they want to live it out. That's wise. And if you link yourself with wise people, you'll become wise. They'll rub off on you. They'll impact you. They'll influence you. They'll, they'll hold you accountable. They'll pray for you. They'll encourage you. But the warning is, if you associate with foolish people, if you hang out with and pattern your life after people who are living foolishly, disregarding God's will, disregarding good advice, making bad decisions, harboring bad attitudes... Don't be surprised when you suffer harm because you linked your life with those kind of people. They influenced you. They had a, an impact on you. There's peer pressure that goes both ways. Sometimes we think peer pressure is only a negative thing, but actually there is constructive peer pressure and then there's destructive peer pressure. Both are pressure, but one builds you up and the other tears you down. Constructive peer pressure is where a person motivated out of love for you wants the best for you. They're not using you for themselves. They're actually serving you and helping you to become the best person. They're adding value to your life. They're helping you move forward in the life that you want and that God wants for you. 
constructive peer pressure. And then destructive, of course, is a person who's using you, who doesn't care about what's best for you. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, we read this word about constructive peer pressure. It says in Hebrews 10, 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Hebrews 10, 24. And that word motivate means to provoke. We ought to be thinking of ways that we can provoke other people. You, you could translate the word incite. We ought to think of ways we can incite another person. Not to do bad things, but to do good things. We ought to provoke them and incite them and motivate them and encourage them to acts of love and good works. I need that in my life. I need people in my life who are provoking me to love God more and to love other people more and to serve the world more. I need people in my life who are exhibiting some constructive peer pressure that I'll walk in a wise way in my life. And how can I know if this relationship is actually constructive? Am I loving God more? Am I loving other people more? Am I living a better life because those people or that person is in my life? But the Bible also warns us about destructive peer pressure. Listen to this verse, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Don't do as the wicked do. Don't follow the path of evildoers. Verse 15 in Proverbs 4 says, don't even think about it. Don't go that way. Turn and keep moving. The writer of Proverbs is warning us to not do as the wicked do, to don't follow the same path that evildoers are on. Don't even think about doing that. It's the worst thing you can do. You need to be serious about the direction of your life and not following the wrong people because their peer pressure is going to be destructive. Misery loves company, and people who are living a life that is not a good life often want you to come along with them and be a part of what they're doing, or they'll drag you down, and we've got to be careful about that. In fact, the book of Proverbs is, is really a, a book that is designed to teach wisdom uh, from a parent to a child, but also to adults and to kings and to rulers and to uh, spiritual people. And the book of Proverbs is filled with all kinds of warnings about the wicked who want to lead you astray. They want to lead you into a foolish life of disobedience to your parents. And all the parents said, amen. There are people who want to lead you down the path of drinking too much or abusing alcohol or doing drugs. There are people who want to motivate you to a lifestyle of laziness and procrastination. And the book of Proverbs warns against that. The book of Proverbs says there are people who want to get you to join them in their lies and slander of other people, believing falsehoods and conspiracy theories and destroying other people's characters and reputation with that lying tongue. The book of Proverbs warns us about that destructive peer pressure. It warns us about being sexually promiscuous and leaving God's will behind in that area of our lives. It warns us about not leading our children in a right way when they're young so that we can help shape them and direct them, Lord willing, down the right path of life. The book of Proverbs warns about people who have uncontrolled anger and not only want to take it out on you, they want you to emulate their anger. 
Now listen, here's the bottom line today. And if you don't hear anything else I say, I want you to hear this and I want you to get this. The bottom line today is the relationships you make will make or break you. The relationships that you make will make or break you. And that's why we've got to be careful about the power of relationships. They can influence us in good or bad ways. We all know that instinctively, don't we? I look back on my life and there were some dumb decisions. And often I wasn't dumb alone. I was dumb with other people. And I look back on my life and there are times I regret some decisions and some of my my conversations I have with myself is why did I listen to that person? Look at what following their advice got me. Or why did I get into that relationship with that girl? There was nothing good that came out of that. There are times maybe in your life you look at some past regrets and you say, why did I go into business with that person? I knew she couldn't be trusted, but I I, I just ignored those warning signs. Or maybe you have a regret. I wish I had never gone to that party that one night where I was introduced to drugs. Oh, how my life might be different had I not linked my life with that person or with those people. And so I want to save you from some harm by reminding you of the power of relationships this morning. In fact, there's a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Once again, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, which is more of a paraphrase, but I want you to follow along with me. I'll put the words on the screen. 2 Corinthians 6, beginning with verse 14, Paul's warning us about the power of relationships, and he's warning us to not link our lives with the wrong people. In this case, he's talking about Christians intimately linking their lives with unbelievers, and not just the average unbeliever. He's warning the Corinthian church about not linking their lives with unbelievers who are hostile to the faith of Jesus Christ and who want to destroy the church. Here's what he writes, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Maybe your translation says, do not be unequally yoked. And then he asked a question, one of many questions. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? Verse 15, what harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Verse 16, and what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and be among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. He writes in verse 17, Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Paul's quoting the Old Testament. And here, we have to remember Paul's primary concern as he wrote this letter to the Christians in the city of Corinth in the first century in Greece. He's warning them about false teachers who are teaching things contrary to the revealed word of God, who are denying the faith of Christ, and who are trying to destroy the church. He says, why would you link your lives and intimate friendships and relationships with those kind of people? They don't want what is best for you. 
Your first allegiance in life has to be to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now listen, while he's referring to false teachers who were trying to infiltrate the Corinthian church in the first century, what he's writing is very helpful for us in the 21st century as we evaluate the relationships of our lives. Paul, when he writes, don't be unequally yoked in verse 14, what does he mean by that? What is a yoke? You say, well, that's what I had for breakfast. Well, there's another word that we're talking about. The word yoke, as the dictionary defines it, is a wooden cross piece that is laid over the necks of two animals, which is then not only tying them together, but then is tied to a cart or a plow that they will pull. That's a yoke. You'll see the picture of a yoke with two animals. You've got these two oxen, you've got the yoke binding them together, attached to a plow so they can pull together. That's the idea that Paul is referring to when he says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. You're a follower of Jesus. Don't intimately link your life with someone because you're going to be pulling in two different directions in life. You're setting yourself up for all kinds of struggle, for all kinds of problems if you do that. That's what the word yoke means. Now, in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 6, there's a, that's the verb, don't be unequally yoked, and it's the only time used in the New Testament. But it actually comes from two instances in the Old Testament where Paul, or where the Old Testament writers, and Paul's referring to them, uses this idea of different kinds. For example, all the way back in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 19, there's a prohibition about breeding two different kinds of animals. It was forbidden. You don't do that. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 10, uh, the ancient Hebrew people were warned, you must not plow with an ox and a donkey. (laughs) These are two different kinds of animals. It's just not the way it works. They're not designed to pull in the same way. They're not designed to do the same kind of work. Don't do that. That's foolish. And so Paul picks up on that, and that's what he means when he says, don't be unequally yoked. He's talking about your spiritual life. Have you ever felt like that you were in a relationship and the two of you were pulling in two different directions, going two different ways, and it was creating tension? It could be that you're yoked to the wrong person. Have you ever been in a relationship and it felt like you were going in circles? We keep having the same problems over and over and over again, and I can't seem to break out of this cycle. Could be that you're yoked to the wrong person. Are you in a relationship that is doing you more harm than good? Now, there's no perfect relationship. We talk about dysfunctional families. Can I be honest? There is no other kind. (laughs) We're all dysfunctional in one way or the other. And I can hear my wife right now saying, amen, preach that. So I'm not saying that if you have a problem in your marriage, you must get out. I'm not saying if you have a problem in a friendship, you need to break it. I'm not saying if you've ever had an argument with a neighbor, you need to stop being neighbors. No, what I'm saying though, is if you're in a relationship and the pattern is it's doing you more harm spiritually, emotionally, physically, you need to be out. You could be yoked to the wrong person. And yokes don't just take the form of relationships, marriage, dating, friendship, uh, business partners. You can also be yoked with social media. 
that is influencing you in ways that are not healthy, that are not of God, that are not drawing you closer to Jesus, but they are actually doing you harm physically or spiritually or emotionally. You might be aligned with a political group or viewpoint, and that political alignment is doing you more harm than good. So you got to be careful with whom you're yoked. You may need to cut ties with someone who's tempting you to abuse alcohol or to do drugs. You may need to uh, break yoke with that person who is seeking to get you to compromise your convictions about your sexuality. You may need to end a friendship with that person who mocks your faith in Jesus. Not just who doesn't believe, but they are hostile to the faith and they're trying to disabuse you of your faith in Christ. May not want to be intimate friends You may need to break a friendship with the person who's tempting you to lie to your parents, young people, to go behind their back and do things that you know you ought not to be doing. Now listen, only the Holy Spirit of God can apply that to your heart and your life and your personal relationships, but you need to think about it. And if you're not already unequally yoked with someone, don't be unequally yoked with someone. If you've got a decision now, you need to be wise. Now, why would I tell you, and why would the Scriptures say you may need some radical relationship surgery if you find yourself intimately linked with someone who is spiritually going in a different direction and it's harming you? Is it because we don't love those people? No, it is because we actually love them so much, the best thing we can do for them is love God the most, love God the first, and be the person He wants us to be. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. He writes, because we have these promises, talking about the promises of God's word, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness. In other words, a life that is completely dedicated to serving God, glorifying him, honoring him. Why? Because we fear God. It is not that I'm going to end a relationship that's doing me harm because I don't love the person. It is because this relationship is doing me harm and I love God the most. And he's going to be the one that gets the best out of me. And I'm going to live in obedience to him. And I'm not going to let anything impede my spiritual walk with God. He has to be first in my life. So to to be careful here, what this does not mean is that we should all become Christian isolationists. There was a man who lived between 390 and uh, 454 or so so AD. Uh, His name was Simeon Stylites. He became notorious because for 37 years, he lived on top of a small platform on a pole high up in the air. He wanted to isolate him from other people who could spiritually contaminate him. He would have food sent up to him, water sent up to him. But for 37 years, he lived isolated on a little platform on a pole in what we would now call Syria, Aleppo, Syria. Is that what God wants us to do? No. In the Middle Ages, when the monastic movement was at its zenith, whole communities of Christians were formed around the notion that all those people are bad and we need to do have as little to do with them as possible. So they created their own communities, grew their own food, made their own clothes, raised their own cattle, so they would have as little interaction with 
those people as possible. And while the meaning was well-intended, I think it's taking that to the extreme. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have friends who aren't Christians. Please have friends who aren't Christians. They need Jesus. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't do business with non-Christians. Good luck with that if you try. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be sociable to non-Christians. It does not mean you should divorce if you're married to a non-Christian. Paul's not giving us permission to use our faith in God to abandon the people who need God the most. In fact, Jesus left us on this earth after we trusted him as our Lord and Savior because we have a work to do in influencing people who are far from God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. In verse 14, he said, you are the light of the world. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. He even prayed in John chapter 17, verses 15 and following. He's prayed to his heavenly Father in this great priestly prayer. He prayed, I'm not asking you to take them, his disciples, and by the way, he was also praying for you because he says, I'm praying for my disciples and all who will believe in me through them. That's you. So this is the prayer Jesus prayed for you. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Verse 16, they do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Verse 18, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Jesus says, I'm not taking them out of the world, Father. I want you to leave them in the world. But while they're in the world, protect them from the enemy and use them for your kingdom purposes. So if that's what Jesus prayed, what does it mean then to not be unequally yoked? Well, I think a good statement is it, it means do not, do not attach your faith your beliefs, your behaviors, and the, the plans of your life with someone who does not share your faith. Don't link your faith with someone who doesn't share your faith in an intimate, life-altering way. If you are influencing them, that is good. But if you're in a relationship as a follower of Jesus, and they are the ones influencing you to not live for Jesus, you're in an unhealthy relationship. Your relationship to Jesus must be first. Must be first. Mark chapter 9, I should say. Mark chapter 9, verses 43 through 47, Jesus talked about radical relationship surgery. He said, verse 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. Verse 45, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. Verse 47, and if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Jesus is using hyperbole. He's not saying literally cut off your hand, pluck out your eye. He's saying, listen, the kingdom of God has to be first in your life. And anything that is keeping you from being devoted to Christ, you need to do away with it. There are three questions that maybe can make this message personal and practical for me. 
It may be for you. Just three questions that you can ask yourself. First question is, are the people in my life pushing me towards a stronger faith in God? Or am I having to keep to fight to keep my faith because of my relationships? If I'm in a relationship and I'm having to fight hard to keep my faith, I'm probably yoked to the wrong person. I need to have a little distance in that relationship. Does it mean that we're no longer friends? No, it just means we're not intimate friends. We're there doing the influencing. It means I step back and through the Holy Spirit of God and his word, I stay friends as much as I can, but I'm going to be the one influencing them for good, not them influencing me for bad. As a matter of fact, that's the second question I want you to ask yourself. Am I the type of person who helps people grow in their faith? Remember the golden rule? Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you want and need people in your life who are influencing you for good, influencing you for God, influencing you in a healthy way, then why don't you start being that kind of friend to someone else? And here's what I'm going to show you or, or warn you about. You're going to learn something quickly. The moment you start trying to be that godly influence in another person's life, they may decide they don't want to be friends with you anymore. I remember the day I told a, a guy that I thought was my best friend when we were in high school. Man, we grew up, went to school together. We got our licenses together, got our cars together. Not our cars. We didn't share a car. But I mean, at the same time, uh, I got a Mustang, a uh, 69 Mustang. Don't envy me. It was just a straight six, a little 250. It was not fast at all. Uh, seats were ripped and torn. The dash was uh, cracked, but I loved my Mustang. And uh, so I had a Mustang. He bought his car. Uh, he had an older model Camaro. And he and I loved talking cars. We worked together at Winn-Dixie. But I remember the night that I told him, listen, man, I I'll hang out with you, but I can't keep going to those parties. There's too much alcohol and other stuff going on there. And, and you know I've committed my life to Jesus, and I just don't think it's good. I, I want to be your friend, but I can't go to that party tonight. And I always remember him saying, if you want to be a stick in the mud, be one, but I'm going. And if you're my friend, you'll come with me. Now, this is the same guy I had invited to church over and over and over, and he would never come. And I said, tell you what, if you were my friend, you'd come to church with me. He says, never. And he cut off the friendship. Now, fast forward many years later when he's married, having some marriage problems, he knew that I was called into ministry and become a pastor. He reached out to me and he said, man, I need some help. And I remember you when we were growing up. You were devoted to the Lord and we need some help. Can you help us? But I had to make the decision. Am I the type of person who helps people grow in their faith or am I letting them influence, influence me more? Third question, I'm gonna let you go. Am I willing to let go of relationships in order to embrace everything God has for me? You know what the best thing your friend needs? Your friend doesn't need another compromised Christian in their life. The best thing your friend can ever get from you is to see in you someone who is sold out to Jesus, who's not perfect, who messes up all the time, but every day gets up with the desire to glorify Jesus, to live for him, to learn from him, and to live on mission with him the best that they can in every relationship of life. You will do more for them when you love God first and love God the best. That's what they need from you. So maybe this week you might need to pray as you evaluate a relationship. God, give me the courage 
and strength to end the relationship that's holding me back and help me to embrace new relationships that will help me move forward in my faith. Maybe that's the prayer you ought to pray. And listen, if you've never trusted Jesus, can I tell you there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother and his name is Jesus. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never turn my back on you. I'm filled with love and grace and truth. And he loves you and he wants to be a part of your life. Open the door of your life to him.